0: Let us continue with our worship of the word. And this morning, the sermon will be taken from Acts chapter 21, verse 37 to 40. And then I'll continue from Acts chapter chapter 22, verse 1 to 21. All right, verse 1 to 21. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Acts chapter 21. And I'll read from thirty-seven, right? Thirty-seven, beginning with verse thirty-seven. Some of us you can uh, read it from the screen, and those of you at home, uh, please turn to your Bible. And I read, Acts chapter twenty-one, verse thirty-seven. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, a uh, tribune. May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know, Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, and motioned with his hands to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of the fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received the letters to the brothers, and I journeyed down towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6. And as I was on my way and drew near on Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, So, so, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was Speaking to me, and I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from His mouth. For you will be witness for Him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Verse 16. And now why you do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on His name. And when I heard return to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw Him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, They themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and proving and watching all the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away, to the Gentiles. This is the Word of God. Let's pray to prepare our hearts to receive the preached Word. Oh dear Lord, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your love for us that you will speak to us with your Word. So Lord, as the Word is preached, may your Spirit impress upon us what we must do and what we ought to do and obey Christ indeed. Oh Lord, we know that Christ has shed His blood for us. So help your preacher here, your servant, to preach your word with most and much conviction, with boldness, as well as with much love. So help me Lord, in Christ's name I do pray. Amen. So as I was growing up, People have mistaken me for being the younger brother of uh, between me and my brother, all right? I'm the oldest one oldest one, the elder one, but I was always mistaken for being the younger one. Then, while I was traveling for my work, people had mistaken my citizenship, my national identity as Korean, Japanese, and sometimes just plainly call me China, all right? And so on and so forth. Now initially I took umbrage at them, mistaking my identity. How dare you, huh? Ah yeah, I'm a Singaporean nah. You don't know huh? And you know very well only when you go abroad and you see another Singaporean, then suddenly you see his dressing. Huh? You say, Ah ga, ga, is there already? Then after that he opened his mouth, he said, Wow, soon man. This one double confirm, double chop. He is a Singaporean. And you all know that. And identity is very core to us. National identity, who we are, where we came from, and we are honest with ourselves. There's something close to our hearts about identifying where or who we belong to. There's something close about our identity that matters to us right in our core. And it matters a great deal, even to some in the world right now, today. In some parts of the world, citizenship, national identity, is a matter of life and death. You don't have to go very far, search, search up the internet, right? You know that some people live and die because of their national identity. In fact, over here, even back in the days of Paul, it was a matter of life and death. In chapter 21, Paul remained silent as he was persecuted in the hands of the Jews in Jerusalem. This was the third time in Jerusalem since his, his conversion, like some 23 years ago. Now, this was recorded three times, all right? There might be more, I'm not very sure at this point, but in recorded in the Bible, it's three times. As he grew in spiritual maturity through the leading of the Holy Spirit he learned to be silent and pray when he needs or when he needs to and when he faced adversity especially during this time so most of chapter 21 he remained silent until chapter 21 verse 37 in our text I would say most of the time, he was in prayer. In fact, he was in prayer asking, I think he's asking for God for the wisdom to speak uh, in verse 37 onwards. Why would I say that? Because every word that he spoke, right, is very intentional and deliberate. And Dr. Luke, right, his companion uh, with him on his travel has recorded this for us intentionally to show us that here, he would have been praying while observing and exercising great discernment to his choice of words before he speaks. He would have realized that his task to preach the gospel to the known world was at stake. What he was going to say would determine the trajectory of where the gospel would land next or stop at Jerusalem with his death his concern was not mainly about his life or his career you know his concern was to obey Christ in his new identity to bring the gospel to the world so the questions the, tri- uh, the tribune asked do you know greek are you not the egyptian in the ch- in the chapter uh, in chapter 21 verses 37 and 38 are basically questions of the identity of paul up to this point, Paul would have discerned that the Jewish mob and the Roman army officer, also known as the tribune, were totally confused, and that that clearly shows that they have mistaken the identity of Paul. In fact, when the tribune asked, "Are you not the Egyptian that leader of the rebel group known as the Assassins from the wasteland, somewhere out there, the wilderness?" He was. He has assumed Paul to be someone else. He was not. In fact, in the history rec- record, there was such a Egyptian, all right, who raided the town, or in fact, ra- raided the city of Jerusalem and got out, all right, with a large number of people. And he thought, right, this Paul was born from a place outside of civilization of nobody, who were the insignificant and. Uncivilized. They thumbs down him as an uncivilized, lowly person, a barbarian, or an unwanted terrorist, terrorist leader uh, known to our days. Right? We will call him a terrorist. And yet, we may all ask, wasn't Paul a Pharisee? Surely, they must have easily recognized him with those elaborate and expensive handmade robes and clothings clothes, they call garments of the Pharisees. How could they not recognize Paul as a Pharisee and mistaken him for a barbaric rebel leader? In fact, even the Jewish mob couldn't, couldn't identify him as a Pharisee or a Jew. They were evidently surprised when chapter 22, verse 2 says this, that the mob became even more quiet when they heard Paul was addressing them in their mother tongue. Their tongue was Aramaic in the Hebrew language. So what was going on here? Arguably, the altar, Dr. Luke, was flashing out the Holy Spirit has been leading and transforming the identity of Paul from the inside out. The subtle link is in the verse 38. He could have planted the word wilderness to draw attention to the readers' uh, draw the readers' attention to the same word used in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, notably. Paul had shed off much of his sinful nature, spiritually, mentally, and even physically outwardly. Inwardly, his character was transformed by the spiritual renewal of the whole spirit. And he became more discerning, wiser. So he kept quiet when he needs to keep quiet and speak when he needs to speak. Most of the time, in his spiritual renewal, he learns to pray. Outwardly, his appearance would be totally different, it seems. Seemingly, he behaved and clothed himself very differently from a Pharisee, Jew, or even a Roman citizen. For this very reason, when the tribune tribune saw Paul before speaking to him face to face, the army officer assumed Paul was from the wilderness because he basically dressed like nobody from 22 verse 1 verse uh, chapter 22 verse 1 Paul began his speech by stating that he was going to speak his defense now what was he defending he was defending his identity from being mistaken by others or defending his identity from others defining who he was in other words he was telling them respectfully I am telling you, you have mistaken my identity, so let me tell you who I am, and then you will understand why I do what I do. The main point of the speech is he had a new identity in Christ, and so he must obey Christ. And that's the big idea of the sermon. The believer in a new identity obeys Christ. And Paul defended his new identity as a Christian from three perspectives: the world, the Savior, and the church. Now Paul began his defense of his new identity from the perspective of the world. Specifically, his old identity in the world in chapter 22 verse 3 through or verses 3 through 5. He first stated his identity from his race, place of upbringing and education. His race was a true blue Hebrew, a Jew by birth. He was born and raised in the city, right? In fact, he was born in, in the city of Tarsus in C- C- uh, Cilicia and then brought up in the city of Jerusalem, Right? It was a significant and very uh, prominent city back then. It was the first city of Cilicia and one of the great university cities of Roman world back then. As such, Paul received the best of the best education in the circles of Pharisees. His teacher and mentor was then the renowned Gamaliel. He was well known and respected by the elder, in or the elders in the Jewish community. He was the authority, the expert of the Old Testament scripture and especially the laws of the Pharisees. That's different from the Mosaic law and their law. Okay, there's two different laws. kind. Uh, and just to be specific, uh, specific right? They Gamaliel was the expert laws. Okay, of the Pharisees. He would be the then doctor, the Professor uh, Gamelia in our time. Like one of my RTS Greek professors, Dr. Charles Hill, who has just retired this year, is renowned in the academic, both in the Christian and secular circles. Now, his letter of commendation carries much weight and authority. The Universities of Oxford and Cambridge doctorate programs would readily accept his student assistant with his letter of recommendation. Similarly, Paul had a recommendation letters, not just from one professor, but from all the Jewish authorities to execute his job. So secondly, he stated his identity in terms of his job, his career, as a Pharisee uh, in verses 4 and 5. He was an authorized persecutor and executioner of men and women of the way. The Christians. He was passionate about routing out any opposition to his religion. And here, we'll do well to take note that Paul didn't whitewash his old identity in history. In fact, he owns it. And surprisingly to some Christians, He owns it even more after he was converted. Why? Because he recognized the hand of God's providence. Did any one of us choose which family we are born into? Or what children we have? And which neighborhood do we grow up in? Do we have? Did we choose that? Now, that's God's providence bringing us into this world in a particular family with a particular upbringing and a particular neighborhood so that we will eventually recognize that we need Jesus to save us. Not to mention, God knows you best. God knows me best. He knows the family that we need to bring us back to God's own family. Whether our families, parents, are by blooded or fostered Christian or non-Christians, we ought to be thankful that God has given us a family to grow up in. And for those of you children here, you must be absolutely thankful that you have a family especially the covenant children. And for those of you who grew up without your family members around you, be comforted that your longing for a family is legitimate because God, the Heavenly Father, wants you back to His spiritual family, the church. And like any family, the church is an imperfect expression of what is to come. Nevertheless, God wants you to be in His spiritual family, the church. So brothers and sisters, own your birth, own your family, your siblings, your brothers and sisters, I know sometimes you all can say it's annoying, right? Oh, keep on saying it's annoying. But own them. Okay, Because this is what God has given to you. Own your upbringing, own your brothers and sisters and your history. Because that's the place where your characters, even your habits, either good ones or bad ones, were shaped. Equally, you also need to own your God-given job where you are because that's the place where God refined your skills, talents and character. Your time developing your talents and skills is never wasted in history. In fact, I would say that they, they, they are redeemed when you recognize and use them for God's purposes. Paul eventually recognized and submitted to God and His providence. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 11. What are God's work of providence? Answer, God's work of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, and governing all His creatures and all their actions. When the believer recognizes and submits to God's providence, the believer in a new identity obeys Christ. Now, time in a person's life catches hold on the leading of Christ's hand, God gives a new ID badge that says, I am Christ. And the believer submits to Christ and His words. Otherwise, friends, you are submitting to the world. Now, you might say, hold on here, Pastor. Wait a minute. I submit to no one on earth. Really? Haven't you heard from the social media that now everyone must submit to the idea that a person's identity is based on one's sexual preference of the LGBTQ If you don't submit to that, your identity is a hater. But then you may argue, well, I don't submit to any of these ideas on identity. Well now, that's precisely an idea not to submit. Or are you submitting to those who have taught you not to submit? Or do you even think that we are all born not to submit? Now, either way, you will agree with God saying our primary sin is rebellion, not submitting to Him. God has this to say: Who uh, about who we submit our identities to? One John chapter three verse nine to ten: No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abides in Him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now here is a sobering message. When I re re-read it again, over and over again, in fact, recently, my heart shivered. My heart shivered for those whose identity and outward behavior is of the world only. I'm looking at myself as well. Your identity is bound is bound to either born again into God's family loving your church brethren or you remain as the children of the devil. Consequently, you either submit to God or you submit to the devil. From the Word of God here, there's no middle ground. Then, how does Paul explain that carrying out the appointed task of preaching the gospel does not mean surrendering his history or his Christian identity? In Paul's defense of his new identity, he declares that the Savior, the reason Christ, is the key. In chapter 22, verses 6 through 11, Paul continued the defense of his new identity from the perspective of the Savior, specifically the appointed identity that takes on new commitments. Paul argues that he didn't walk away from his Jewish heritage uh, and history altogether. In fact, Paul often, uh, a, point of, a point often overlooked here in verse 7 is that Jesus addressed Paul in his Hebrew name, Saul. Addressed his Hebrew name, Saul, to affirm his heritage and history. In fact, Jesus asked him to continue his journey to Damascus so Paul didn't take a new path. All right? He didn't take a new path separating from the Jews, Instead, he was directed to head straight into the heart of the Jewish people, the holy city of Jerusalem. He was instructed by Jesus to go there to take on the new task of doing Christ's works, the Messiah's work. So verses 8 and 9, Paul asks, Who are you, Lord? This Who are you, Lord? is to introduce Jesus' identity as the Divine One one from the Messianic line. Right? One from the Messianic line of the Jews, the Nazareth. Then Paul asked, What must I do, Lord? In verse 10. Now, Paul deliberately addressed Jesus as Lord. He was implying that he was submitting to Jesus' authority because he was sure That the Jesus that have all killed and no reason was indeed their Messiah. And for this reason, he was ready to obey and carry out Jesus' instructions. Now, equally important here, when he asked, what must I do? Paul was saying that he has new commitments because Jesus is now his Savior. His Savior is not his birth as a Jew, not his studies, not his expert training, not his pedigree as an elite uh, Pharisee, and definitely not his job. His saviour was Jesus. And so, he has a new identity as a Christian with his Jewish history. That goes to say that whoever or whatever your saviour is, you would most likely take on that savior's identity. For example, if work is your savior, then you will take on the identity as a workaholic. Every exchange in life becomes a calculated, calculative transaction from the perspective of business and work. And sometimes we bring that into our church. You shouldn't be. But Christ was Paul's saviour. Then, what's a Christian with a Jewish heritage to do. In our text, he submits his identity to Christ and here is the good news. He feels totally very, very comfortable in his new faith with the Old Testament roots. And at the same time, he would have felt at home in the ethnically diverse body of Christ in the world of the Jews, the Gentiles, the Greeks, and the Romans. Each member of the body of Christ come. They comes it comes, it comes from a unique heritage, history, and surely worldly philosophies. But I would think he will take umbrage at you calling him a Jewish Christian. Paul was simply. Christian. Now, especially now is not helpful when we place some descriptive or adjectives in front of the now Christian. Paul was a sinner, however, he has the appointed identity to be a saint in Christ. Now, in the reform circles, we all emphasize a lot on a sinner. But we also must remember we have appointed identity to be a saint in Christ. And therefore, holy, 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 we praise the name of our Lord, Christ Jesus. Paul's appointed and new identity was simply a Christian. And his commitments were Christian. We wouldn't call Paul a Jewish Christian. So likewise, we don't identify someone as a gay Christian. Misunderstandings about their commitments will be called into question when we identify someone as a gay Christian. That's as opposed to a Christian who is repenting for the sin of same-sex attraction. And when misunderstanding and opposition do arise, do we have answers to clear the air? More importantly, would we be able to answer winsomely, speaking the truth in love? Now, to help our church to answer some biblical and theological questions on human sexuality and identity with our Christian commitments, I will soon have an approved version of the committee study report on human sexuality from the Presbyterian Church in America. The 48th general meeting assembly attended by thousands of teaching elders, ruling elders representing thousands of churches of the denomination was held over the last few days. After a few years of debates, many prayers, meetings, and amendments, the report was finally passed and approved for distribution to the churches on July 1st this year, which was just a few days ago. Once our elders have read it and approved it in our session, I hope we could have a webinar to teach that shortly. In fact, the Holy Spirit guiding Paul has left us his report on such matters in the Bible clearly. In verse eleven, Paul drops the mic. he pointed he pointedly said that it was Jesus who chose and appointed his new identity and instructed him in his new commitments. Now, that was very different and opposite from the Jewish idea of the Messiah. They they, they thought their Messiah was to do what they wanted him to do. The Jewish idea of the Messiah was to serve their political, social, and economic identities. Be their political voice. Be their social reformist freedom fighter. Be their wealth and health genie. I wish and you fulfill, dear Jesus, or you are not my savior. The kind of Messiah to serve their worldly commitments. Brothers and sisters, are our Christ, our genie, or are our Christ, our savior from our worldly commitments? Not that all of them are bad. But some of them surely distract us. The answer is in your commitments and your prayers. But Paul was saying that the Messiah, Christ Jesus, is radically different. Christ Jesus is the one who would give them an appointed identity with new commitments. Likewise, the, lead, but the believer don't choose his or her identity is appointed by Christ Jesus. And in the passage itself, appointed, that word has been used multiple times All right, in the Greek to press in this point. A Christian identity is appointed and surely you will take on new commitments to serve Christ in His spiritual body, the church. Now, why the church firstly? Because a Christian new identity is first spiritual is first spiritual, right? To Christ and one another as Christian brothers and sisters. Now, that's then it's not surprising that Paul continued the defense of his new identity from the perspective of the church. From verses 12 through 16, specifically, the spiritual new identity with baptism. Paul brings Ananias into his defense as a credible witness to both the Jewish community and the church. Ananias represented the Jewish community because he was recognized as a devout man according to their Jewish tradition and law. And Paul especially mentioned in verse 12 that Ananias was well-spoken by all the Jews who lived there. This is to emphasize that Ananias was a credible witness to the Jews, and at the same time, Ananias was a credible witness to the Christians, representing the church, because he had the authority to baptize Paul in verse 16. Now, Paul was pointing out that Ananias was a perfect example of a Christian with a Jewish heritage and upbringing. It was absolutely possible to be a Jew as a Christian. There was no contradiction. And here in chapter 22, verse 14, it begins with, The God of our fathers appointed you. Here, breathes life to the Jewish faith and then continues with to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, which points to Jesus as the righteous one that Paul met. Paul carefully and brilliantly retold what Ananias said to him to bring together the faith of the Jewish fathers and the Christian faith of the apostles and the disciples. But the point Paul was making is this: His new identity was not self-made, and he's not a self-professed Christian. His new identity as a Christian was a God-appointed and church-professed. In other words, the church authority has to exercise the appointed role, and it has the church authority has the appointed has the has to exercise the appointed role to say who to include and exclude in their community. And for this reason, Ananias was exercising the church authority in his appointed role to instruct Paul to be baptized. Jesus had clearly told Ananias to include Paul in the church of Jerusalem. Paul and Paul obeyed and he was baptized as an act of his confession of faith in Christ. In fact, both the church authority and community would no doubt, would not doubt his faith as a Christian when Paul showed that he was consistent with both his speech, his outward behavior, even to his dressing. I'm not saying that all of us, dressed differently here. Yeah, I'm, honest, I'm just saying that he's different, okay? He showed that he's different. And that demonstrates the continuation of the faith of the Jewish fathers. Um, oh, in fact, the Christian faith emphasizes the emphasis of a spiritual new identity with uh, baptism Demonstrate the continuation of the faith of the Jewish fathers uh, doing circumcision in Colossians chapter 2. So Paul was a christian faithful to the god of the old testament of abraham's faith and for this reason paul was at ease defending his new identity as a christian from the three perspectives of the world of the savior and the church and from the three perspectives of paul's new identity in christ there are th- there are three ways a believer obeys christ that will flesh out in the sermon here The believer obeys as in submission to Christ, carries out the instructions of Christ, and so behaves like a Christian. And concluding here, however, Paul's concluding statement of his defense to the Jews will be most surprising and even moving to the Jews from verses 17 through 21. In his narration, Paul turned the table around to the fact that what the Jews were doing to him was exactly what he was doing as he persecuted the Christians, especially Stephen. Paraphrasing and summarizing what Paul was saying to the Jews is this. All right? I'm trying to imitate him and paraphrase. Look at me! You have mistaken my identity. You have mistaken your identity. Who are you? You are staring at the mirror of yourself. I was you. I am guilty. I regretted persecuting and killing Stephen, your brother. I am as Jewish as you are. And I know your pain. But please please don't suffer the same regret the same guilt by persecuting me right now especially when christ has appointed you when christ has appointed you a new identity in jesus i repented of my sin against my god our god my jesus and baptized into my lord jesus christ with a new identity. And so I must obey His words. And Jesus said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, hear my appeal. Not just a defense. Because God wants you back to His spiritual family. This is the preacher of God.